We're talking about core Christianity, those, those basic doctrines that are at the heart of Christianity. Um, if you want to, you could think of, of this series as kind of a um, systematic theology 101. If you were to go to seminary, uh, this would be the basic theology that explains what we believe and why. Um, <clears throat> we've, we've talked about a couple of things already, and this evening I want us to uh, talk about the, the idea that God is great, God is good. You say, well, that, that sounds pretty simple. Um, <clears throat> and it is, but it's also very complex. You probably have heard that uh, sometimes when the uh, Islamic terrorists uh, attack, they'll shout something. And what they shout is translated Allah. I don't even like to translate Allah to God because it's confusing in, in our theology, but Allah is great is one of the things that they say as they attack. And their idea, their concept is that God is uh, mighty and powerful. And they're demonstrating his might by, in their minds, um, getting rid of the infidels. So they, we, you know, they do have the, the idea, the concept of God's greatness and his power. However, in Christianity, we understand God is great, and in the same breath, God is good. You see, if he was only great, then he would be almost a monster. He, he, he could be just uh, overpowering and, and mean if he were only great. But he's great and he's good. And if he was only good, then we could be best friends and we'd love him and he'd love us and everything would be hunky-dory happy, but he would have no power to save. He is not only great and powerful, but he is also good. And those two concepts where in other parts of our life, those two might seem uh, contrary to one another. When we think of God, they must be held in balance. We see them together. He is great and, and powerful and mighty. He is also loving and kind and compassionate and merciful. He is great and he is good. We find that demonstrated for us uh, in, in a really kind of a remarkable way in, in Psalm. If you want to look with me in Psalm 136, we'll just look at, at really one verse, but then I want to back up and get the big picture of the whole Psalm. I'll show you something that I think is really kind of amazing in this Psalm. Psalm 136, look at verse 4. In the first three verses, he has said, give thanks. All right, so give thanks, now in verse 4, to him who alone does great wonders. 
You see, he is, he is great. He, he is powerful. He, he alone does great wonders. For his steadfast love endures forever. He is good. He's great and he is good. Now, if you back up and kind of glance down at your, at your Bible there and notice something throughout the whole psalm, as you look at the psalm, do you see that the last half of every verse is exactly the same? His steadfast love endures forever, or his love is everlasting. It repeats it over and over again. By the way, next time you complain about a chorus that repeats itself too much, just read Psalm 136. That's a song. Repetition is not new. Don't blame new music for repetition. David did it 100 years before any of us ever thought of people singing. <laughs> but over and over, the point is made throughout this psalm. His steadfast, remember that. We're going to talk about that in just a little bit, too. His steadfast love endures forever. He is good. He is good. He is faithful. We can depend on him. It's a steadfast kind of love. Oh, he is the great one. He is the only one, it says uh, in verse 4, him alone uh, who, who does great wonders. He, he, no one is, is comparable to him in his power and his might. He is great, but he also is at the very same time that one whose steadfast love endures forever. He is good. And so that prayer that we prayed when we were children, I, I, I prayed it at every meal growing up. Uh, for some, I'm the, I was the youngest in my family, and for some reason they made me do the prayer every time. Uh, not much has changed. Every time I'm around people, I wind up doing the prayer, so that's, that's okay. God is great. I don't use this prayer very often in public anymore, though. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for the food. We didn't realize what great theology we were saying as children. God is great, mighty, powerful. He also is good and compassionate and merciful. And I want us to spend some time tonight um, kind of balancing those two, um, seeing how the two work together. And so, as we do, we're going to look at some of the attributes of God. He is great. He is good. Let's break those two down and see his greatness and his goodness. So first, we'll look at his greatness. God is great. And uh, we see this in three or four important ways. One of them, the first one, is that he is self-existent. Self-existent. I uh, I put a I put the theological word up there, not not that it would really make any difference for any of us tonight. But in case you followed up in studying these things and you see this word, I wanted you to be familiar with what it means. This is aseity, and in Latin. Uh, a, it means of. 
And anytime there is an SE, it means self. And then ITY just kind of makes something a noun. Christianity, profanity. You know, it just, ITY just makes something uh, a noun that shows a certain quality. So you have of self. In other words, God is existent of himself, by himself. He is not dependent on anyone or anything else. He was not created. He is all that he needs. We see this especially when folks talk about um, creation, we talk, when they talk about how God made man. Oftentimes you'll hear folks kind of summarize that story and say, well, God was lonely and he wanted someone to, to talk to, and so he made Adam. The problem with that is it fails to recognize his self-existence, his aseity. God cannot be lonely. That would, that would be a certain level of imperfection, and God is perfect. It's also unnecessary to consider, to think of him as lonely, because remember last week we talked about the Trinity. He always has been in fellowship within himself. There is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. By definition, he is in fellowship. So he did not create the world because he needed the world. He created us because he is love. And because he is love, it was his nature to create objects to receive that love. He created out of love, not loneliness. He didn't need creation. He has never needed anything or anyone other than himself. He is, he, he is not dependent on anyone. We, by, we, on the other hand, are exactly the opposite. We are totally dependent on him. We may not recognize that. There are people who refuse to acknowledge his existence, but even they are totally dependent upon him because without him, they would not exist. And without him, the universe would not be held together and they could not survive. We are totally dependent on him. He, however, depends on no one. He is self-existent. Another concept of, or another attribute of God is uh, his unchangeable uh, attribute. He, he, the, the word is immutable, and immutable just means that it doesn't move. And so when we use that word in, in theology, we're saying that he is unchanging. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He doesn't change. Now, Let's think for just a moment about that because there are folks who just hate change. And they hate change, so they love it when they say God doesn't change. Well, I'm with him. I don't want to change either. That's not the point at all. Consider this. If you begin with perfection, what change could there be? 
if he were to change lower, he would no longer be perfect, therefore would no longer be God. If he were to change higher, that would mean that until that time he had missed something, which by definition means he could not have been God. There is no change because he is already perfect. He is unchanging because he got it right the first time. You and I have to change our minds regularly. We have to change our direction. We change our priorities. He got it right the first time, so there is no changing. And when you look in the Old Testament, you might be able to find some, some passages where it appears that he changed his mind. The, the, the verbiage even says that. I think a fuller understanding of what's happening there, however, is that he changed how he revealed his plan to man. His plan all along was to accomplish whatever the goal is that he was going to accomplish. However, he needed, he needed whoever he's dealing with at that time to go through a certain learning process, and so he revealed this part to that person, and when this per person reacted, responded in the appropriate way, then he revealed the rest of the story, if you will. Because he never changes. So he is not only self-existent and unchanging, but our God is also omniscient. And we're going to look at three words here that all begin with, with O, and they all begin with omni. And whenever you see the word omni, you just know that that means all. So when you see this word, you see omni, and then you see this word that reminds you of science or scientist, and it should, because it comes from the same word. This is the word that means to know. So all, to know, he is all-knowing. He knows everything there is to know. Now that is amazing when we consider the fact that before you were, he knew all that you now are learning about yourself. Before you were, he knew what you would become. The other amazing thing is that even that language, as I talk about what he knew, even that is not completely accurate because it puts time in God's experience. And God exists outside of time. So it's not that he knew what you would be as much as it is he knows before you were. He is omniscient. He's not learning things along the way. He's not discovering. He knows. And that means two or three things for us. One, it brings us comfort because you and I don't know what tomorrow holds. But he does. Understand he is never surprised by what life throws at us. Before 
the worst happens, he knew it was about to happen, and he's got it under control. It helps to know that he knows all things, even when we don't. It not only brings us that sense of comfort, but it also reminds us that he cannot be mocked. We play games with God a lot because we play games with ourselves. The reality is, though, you can, you can deceive yourself. You can never deceive him because he knows. So it sure is easier just to, just to fess up and be honest with him. You're not fooling him anyway. He is omniscient. He is also omnipresent. Again, omni is all. Present is obvious. It means that he is present. There's more to that than just considering the fact that he can be everywhere at any time. That is, a, that is a very good understanding of omnipresent. He is everywhere. But there's more to it because he is not bound by time, nor is he bound by our understanding of space. He's not bound by time, so we wouldn't really say he can be everywhere at any time. But he is also not bound by space. It's not that he is here and there, it is that he is above and beyond and around and throughout all that is. Space and time are constructs that we need to make sense out of this world, but he is above and beyond both of them. Omnipresent. You cannot go where he is not. He is always everywhere would be a good way to summarize that. He is always everywhere, yeah. I Exactly. Yeah, you'll never find a place where God is not. Yeah. And you will never be in a time in which God is not. He is omnipresent. He is omniscient. And the other O that is so important, omnipotent. Omni is all. Potent. It's powerful. It's, it's effectual. It's the ability to, to accomplish something. And so if it's all and power then we understand he is all-powerful. There is nothing that he cannot do. Why? Because he created all that exists. He's in charge of all there is. He's not bound by any of those uh, constructs that bind us. He can do anything. He's all-powerful. So God is great. We understand him. To the, in these ways that he has revealed these attributes of himself to us. He has told us these things about himself. He is self-existent, dependent upon none other. He is unchanging or immutable. He, 
He doesn't change. That, that's, that's why we know we can trust him. We know he's faithful because he never changes. He is omniscient. He knows all. He is omnipresent. He is above and beyond and throughout all that exists. And he is omnipotent. He can accomplish anything. There is nothing that he cannot do. And so he is great. But not only is God great, we also understand that God is good. And these two have to be, these two have to go together. If we looked at those attributes of his greatness, and that is all that defined him, wouldn't that be a frightening and scary God? We would, we would live in fear of one who saw everything, knew everything, could do anything, was everywhere we were all at the same time, didn't need nobody or nothing. Imagine how what a frightening experience that would be for us. But he not only is great, he is also good. The two go together in our understanding of him. And so as we consider the fact that he is good, one of the things that we recognize is that he is loving and merciful. 1 John 4, 8 is one that, that uh, would, would be a very good one for you to have memorized, um, not only because of the uh, strength of the words therein, but also because it's so short, it's easy. Can somebody read or quote for us 1 John 4, 8? 1 John is not the gospel. It's toward the end. It's one of the three little letters right before Revelation. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. As we talk about theology, theo, theos is God. Ology is the study of, the study of God. As we talk about theology, we have to start here, really. Who is God? Well, his word says he is love. Not that he loves like you and I, that we learn, to, that we learn the actions of love. We feel the emotions of love. It's, it's something that happens to us and something that we act upon. Uh, it's a way that we demonstrate or, or a way that we express ourselves. For him, it is a definition of who he is. One of his attributes, God is love. It's not how, what he feels or what he does. It's who he is. And so we, we understand now better how a great God could also care for us in such an amazing, so many amazing ways. And it's because that great God is also good. He is love. Romans 5 and 10 gives us another great verse to, uh, to look at as we consider his love for us. Um, if you've been around much, you have heard me quote. I, I, sometimes I don't even plan it. It just happens. Uh, you've heard me quote for, uh, that um, God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. God showed us his love. And that while we were still sinners, didn't deserve it, 
Jesus died for us. But look at this verse. This verse doesn't even say it that way. Look at this verse, Romans 5 and 10. For if while we were enemies, it didn't say sinners this time. God loved us so much that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. We get that. But did you understand that while you were a sinner, you were God's enemy? Until your sin is forgiven, you are God's enemy. You are separated from him and you are not for him. You are against him. You are his enemy. That's a hard word for me to read there. But while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. Notice it didn't say we reconciled ourselves because that can't happen. We were reconciled. That shows that an action was taken on us. We were reconciled by someone else to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. So not only did he love us so much that when we were sinners, Jesus died for us, but he loved us so much that even though we were his enemies, he reconciled us through the death of his own son. That's a heck of a lot of love. And it speaks of not only his love, but his mercy. You see, he is loving and merciful. Loving, first John says, God is love. Merciful, while we were his enemies... He sent his son to die for us, Romans 5.10. So God is good. And we see that not only in his, that he is loving and merciful, but we also see that in the fact that he is just and holy. He is just and holy. John, on that loving and merciful, but isn't there an Old Testament word loving kindness? Yeah. Very good, yeah. And, and we're actually going to look at that in a different context here in a little bit. But loving kindness is, is a beautiful Old Testament word that means mercy. It, it's, it ties together the idea that because of love there is mercy. And that is a good word. Thank you. God is good in that he is loving and merciful and that he is just and holy. Now, just, just means um, fair. Uh, a judge, a judge we call it, uh, uh, the, the judge leads the justice system. Justice means fairness. What were you going to say? Justice is a tough word. Ju yeah, yeah, just is a tough word. Yeah. Um, just means that, that the right thing is ultimately accomplished, that the right is finally done. Sometimes it's hard, especially in our fallen, mixed-up world, it's hard for us to get to justice. But that's our goal, is to make things right. Well, God starts there. Instead of having to figure out how to get there, he starts there. 
He is always just and fair and right. Sometimes we make the mistake, I think, of getting frustrated with life, getting frustrated with God, and we're tempted to say this isn't fair. I don't deserve this. And we need to be real careful with our words there, don't we? Because if you want what you deserve, if that's really what you think is just, if you want what you deserve, that means that we take out mercy, which is by definition doing something for you that you don't deserve. So if we want only justice, we take away mercy. None of us have a chance. He is so good that he is loving and merciful. He also is just, though. And in his justice, there must be a penalty that is paid for rebellion against him. Right is right. Rules are rules. And the rule is that if you sin, there can be no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. And so in the Old Testament, the people kept coming and bringing their sacrifices as a way to pay that blood penalty to get that forgiveness. And then because of his loving mercy, he sends his son who is the perfect lamb who pays the ultimate penalty. Hebrews says he died once for all. And so justice is served. There has been blood now shed for the remission of sin. He is just and he is holy. In his holiness, he does not take sin lightly. He doesn't, he doesn't just kind of overlook it and forget it. When the woman is caught in adultery, and I, I even hate using that phrase, there were two people who were caught in adultery that day. We usually just talk about the woman who was caught. There, by definition, there were at least two. But the woman that day is brought before him. And you remember the story. He says he's without sin, cast the first stone. Then he says to her, who condemns you? She says, none. He says, neither do I. And we might be, willing, we might be tempted to say, okay, well, he, sin is not that important. But what did he say to her before he let her leave that place? Go and sin no more. It, it is important, and it's so important that God gave his best and his greatest to pay for the penalty of sin. We should remember the cross from time to time, if for no other reason than to just remind ourselves how serious God took our sin. He is holy. Holy means separate. Holy means different. Holy means staying away from the sin, the sin that 
so easily entangles us and holds us to this world. The word holy means separate, and when we say that God is holy, we mean he is completely different, completely separate. Every other living creature is flawed, but he's separate, he's different, he's not flawed. Every human being has sinned, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God in Romans. But he is different, he's, he's not tainted by sin, he is holy. God is good. We see that in his that he is loving and he is merciful. We also see that in the fact that he is just and holy. In Romans 3 at 26, he is describing for us how Jesus died on the cross as a way to show God's righteousness. And then look in verse 26, it was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. That he might be just and he might justify us. Mercy. See, the two are held together in that verse. It says Jesus died so that God would be just, but also so that we could be justified. Mercy. So in, in, uh, in, as we see that God is good, he is in his loving and merciful, he is just and holy, and he is faithful. He is faithful. That immutability, that unchangeable um, attribute that we talked about earlier means that we can depend on him, rely on him, trust him. We know what he's going to do. Have you ever had a friend that was moody? And you never knew, you never knew what kind of mood your friend was going to be in. You'd get together and you'd, the first five minutes, you're just kind of hanging on, waiting to see, is this going to be a good day or a bad day? And what, what kind of mood are they in and where are we headed? You know, you never really knew until you'd been around a while and then you could figure out and then you knew where to go. There's always that, that hesitation because we don't know where this person's coming from. Actually, you and I do that to each other all the time. We're, uh, we say, I'll, I'll meet you at, I'll meet you at eight o'clock. And then at eight o'clock, your phone rings and say, where are you? We're supposed to meet at eight. Oh, shoot, I forgot. I'm sorry. We let each other down. I send you a text, you're driving, so you ignore the text like you should. But then when you get where you're supposed to be, you forget to text me back. Little things like that. Or on the spectrum, all the way to big things where we make life decisions that drastically impact someone else's life. You see, we know what it means to be unfaithful. But God is always faithful, always trustworthy, always dependable. He has never once let anyone down. He's never forgotten to show up at a certain time. He's never failed 
to do what he said he would do, to meet the needs of those he cares for. It's amazing to think of his faithfulness. What's that? He is, because he is omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent, he is faithful, always. Because he's great, he is good. And because he's good, he is great, right? 2 Timothy 2 and 13, as you know, uh, Paul uh, mentored Timothy. And so when you read either one, 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy, um, you are reading the Apostle Paul is talking to his uh, uh, mentee, is that the word? His, his apprentice in ministry. And so you get kind of the inside story on ministry in the very early days of the church. 2 Timothy chapter 2 at verse 13. Very simply, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. You ever had a faithless day? Sunday I was full of faith, but by Thursday everything was kind of messed up around, around my life. And I'm not sure that that faith was quite so full. I think we've all been there. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. Why? Because that's who he is. That's just who he is. I wanted to share with you as well. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. You see that faithfulness? You see that love that we talked about as a description of who he is? He is loving. His mercies, we talked about he's merciful, never come to an end. Why? Because he doesn't change. He's the same always. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. No matter what happens in my life, I know I can trust him because he is at all times faithful. And so the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. That's Lamentations 3. And what makes that so interesting is... Lamentations means mourning. Lamentations are songs that you sing at funerals. It is lamenting. And here Jeremiah has seen his hometown destroyed. People have been killed. People are missing. Many are injured. The community is destroyed. And he sits down and he writes this book of lamentations. But in the middle, almost mathematically, and right smack dab in the middle. Smack dab is a Hebrew phrase. <laughs> almost right in the middle of the book of mourning, we get this statement of faith. My world is falling apart, but these things I know. The steadfast love. It's not going anywhere. It's staying. Steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. It's never going to quit. 
His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. This is that loving kindness that you were talking about. It, it is a, a love-driven mercy that never stops. And some of you, when you see that verse, you, st you hear this tune in your head. Right? You hear that tune that was uh, added to Thomas Chisholm's poem. Great is thy faithfulness. O God, my Father, there's no shadow of turning with thee. Immutability. Unchanging. No shadow, not even, not even a shadow, just, just a, a little evidence of. There's not even a small evidence of turning. Why? Because he is always right. He's unchanging. He's faithful. Thou changest not. Thy compassions, they fail not. Thou changest not because thou art great. Thy compassions fail not because thou art good. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. Because of aseity, he is self-existent. Therefore, he is eternal. He doesn't change, he always is. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. So when we talk about who is God... We have to, among so many other things, we have to at least say that he is great and he is good. 